0: welcome to the msd animal health podcast on this podcast we interview people working across the agricultural industry to bring you the latest disease information insights into our technology solutions and discuss relevant industry topics welcome to our first episode of our total calf health solution podcast series with msd animal health I'm Sarah Higgins, I'm ruminant and equine veterinary manager with MSD. And joining me today is Richard Ryan, a veterinary practitioner based in Archersfield Veterinary Clinic in Kilkenny, also known as the Dark Badger on Instagram. Welcome, Richard. Hi Sarah. And today we're going to cover calf pneumonia. So, Richard, as a vet on the road, what is that classical phone call you get from your farmers dealing with calf pneumonia?
1: Okay, so I suppose it's we're getting into that time of the year. Um, and it's a really common thing we do get Um, most commonly it'll start off with a phone call saying oh I have a calf maybe with a bit of a chill a bit down in the dumps they're not themselves and we say look we should probably get out there and take a look um, to try and assess what's going on Um, typically that's when you get out there um, and you're taking in information all the time Um, you know you're always trying to assess the surroundings, the housing um, where is the calf how many calves are there the whole environment and then you want to assess: Is it just this one calf, or is it? Are there actually others involved? So you'll have a quick look around the pen and see what else is going on there.
0: Mhm. And then when you perform your clinical examination, generally, what are your main findings dealing with the the, the clinical cases?
1: So that's a good point, and this is where it can be really variable. Um, you know. The classic, classic textbook symptoms will be, you know, a calf maybe with some nasal discharge, maybe a cough or maybe not. Um, they'll have increased lung sounds. So what we mean by that is when we listen with a stethoscope, we're going to hear that an increased roughness. Sometimes if it's bad, it's going to sound like sandpaper. Um, you're going to have a fever, so the temperature is going to probably be above 39.3. Um, and a calf that maybe just looks poorly, they might have an increased respirate, so they may be breathing heavy. Um, that may be what they've spotted their ears may be hanging down the head may be hanging down but that's the textbook I've yet to see the calf that had every one of those symptoms it's going to be variable some will have a fever some won't they won't all they they definitely won't have all of those symptoms they may only have one or two
0: so variety really that's what you can see with, with the clinical cases absolutely in relation to those then cases that you see, what are the main causative agents behind them? You know, bacteria, viruses, parasites that you would be seeing in practice.
1: So I suppose that's that's where where testing comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, like we'd always try and encourage testing to try and find out what the bugs are. The, the main bugs we typically find are going to be in young calves. Now, you know, in, in baby calves that we're talking about, um, you're going to find mostly your RSV, PI3, and you might find Mannheimia. You can find other bugs in there at different times. Obviously, you know, you could have mycoplasma problems on some herds um, and IBR just depends on the herd. But it's always good to get some testing done um, either through nasal swabs or bloods, depending on the timing of the infection. And when you're seeing the current infection or if it's actually been going on for a while, that'll, you know, help you you to decide whether you're going to go for swabs or bloods and figure out what bugs are present.
0: Perfect. And then in relation to those clinical cases that you see, what are the short-term impacts on those cattle and also the long-term repercussions of the disease?
1: I suppose, unfortunately, short-term, the biggest thing could be death. <laughs> um, do you know, that's the thing you're always trying to avoid. Um but that, that's the thing. Short term, you're going to have a sick calf that's not taking in much milk. They're off their feed. Sometimes people actually, the first thing they spot, like this is the beauty of technology. First thing they spot is that the computer texts them and says automatic calf feeder says calf number 724 didn't drink at all today. Mm. No milk intake. Um, and so that may be it. It's d- decreased feed intakes. That's definitely a major factor, short term. Um, and then it just depends on how quickly you get treatment in, how quickly the animal was spotted. And if they're going to recover or not, what sort of calf you started off with? Was it already a healthy calf? How much of an infectious dose did it get? Similar enough to, I suppose, COVID in people. Sometimes with COVID, it's like it's great, actually, in one sense. COVID has now increased people's knowledge of viruses and how it all works. And so now people have a better understanding of, you know, v- viral shedding. They have a better understanding of uh, ventilation and how congregating a lot of calves in one small space can increase the risk of spread and make calves sicker, just like it did with people. So that has actually been a kind of a a silver lining, I suppose, that now people have a better understanding of the need for vaccination and and how viruses spread.
0: I agree. And I think as well, the public now are much more aware of herd immunity and also the importance of following vaccination protocols, whether they're boosters or the primary courses since COVID-19. So... Yeah, I agree with you on that point. Um, then I suppose, just going back to the productivity there, Richard, as well, the long-term repercussions uh, for heifer calves in particular in the dairy industry, like that can have effect on them like, as far as their first lactation if they have pneumonia early in life.
1: Oh, absolutely. So I suppose that the biggest problem long-term is going to be growth rates. So like I said, short-term, you've got a decrease in feed intake. If that's over any sort of prolonged period, which could be days to weeks, you have an, an animal that, that isn't going to keep up with their comrades. They're not going to be as big. And they have shown in studies, there are studies out there that have shown that for every amount of weight that those animals lose or amount of times they're sick, um, they're going to be impacted later on in their life. And there, there are figures out there, I don't have them off the top of my head, but they basically are not going to be as productive. So whether that's a beef animal, they're not going to grow as fast. So it's going to be a lot longer before that animal is fit for the factory. Um, or if that's a dairy animal, that animal might, mightn't be fit to go and calf. Um, if she's um, if she's undersized. Yeah. Um, they're more likely to have or or calving difficulty when they actually go to calve and they're undersized or maybe they haven't the lung capacity. Uh, and then, yet yeah, they're not going to put the milk in the tank.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think as well, farmers, they'll think straight away the short-term impact of, you know, the, the cost of the vet coming out to do the investigation or the examination, the anti-inflammatories given, the antibiotics or whatever may be used to treat the calves. But As you said, it's a long-term impact. And for heifer calves, there's studies out there. If they have one bout of, of respiratory disease in their life in the first eight, eight weeks of life, they can have 525 litres less in their first lactation. So that's absolutely significant. And we all know how good milk prices were last year, you know. So that all adds up if you have a good few heifers with a bout of pneumonia early in life. And then just from the beef side of things, calves that have very obvious clinical signs of pneumonia early in life can actually take 59 days longer to finish. So that is a lot of extra feed to go in to finish those animals uh, later on in life. Yeah. So it's, it's, it all adds up.
1: It's it's absolutely. And those are the hidden costs that people don't see. Same with lameness. It's all hidden costs. And people sometimes say, you know, uh, whether it's you're talking about minerals, you're talking about vaccines, or you're talking about uh, footbathing. They say, this costs me this much money because that's the money that you're spending out. That's the visible money. But like, I think like the invisible money is the, the loss of growth rates, the loss of milk yield and again there's studies out there I know Luca Grady did a study on lameness I know it's a few years out of date but they they had unbelievable costs on lameness and they were able to factor in that invisible money that people don't see but they don't often stop and think like how much a kilo of live weight gain is when you go to sell that animal or you go to the mart and you're thinking your animal is going to make X amount per kilo Well, like if you can make that animal 50 kilos heavier or you can make that heifer milk I think you said 500 kilos of milk extra in a lactation that's worth way more than any money that you were going to spend on prevention. The prevention definitely works. It definitely is worth spending the money there.
0: And just when you said there about the invisible costs, I think it's no harm in reiterating the invisible cases, the subclinical cases in the sheds. So the the subclinical cases, the ones with no overt clinical signs in the pen with those animals can also be negatively affected in their productivity later in life. And from the beef side, if they had no snotty nose or no uh, high temperatures or uh, cough or respiratory rate elevated, they can take 33 days longer to finish. That has a massive effect on the profitability for the farmer at the end of the day.
1: Oh, absolutely look at it it's just like they always taught us in UCD um, that the famous picture that we used to see in all of our lecture slides with the tip of the iceberg it doesn't matter whether you're talking about milk fever or you're talking about pneumonia do you know the clinical cases the ones you actually see physically sick and you can pick them out all of their comrades they're also affected and, and they're the ones they're the ones that probably cost you more money they're, they cost you more money because there's more of them so, they're the, the wider part of the iceberg, and they're, really, they're the ones that, that financially hit And that's where people maybe end up with a load of heifers that all of a sudden they're, they're way too behind and they don't get them in calf. And then they're like, oh, I suppose I'll calve them at three years old. And I mean, the studies have shown calving heifers at three years old, it's just not profitable anymore. It's just, it's, you have to get them calved at two years old. Um, so, you need those growth rates early in life. And, and if, if, you know, the subclinical cases, they cost a huge amount of money.
0: Just before we move on to the control measures uh, with dealing with calf pneumonia, it's worth mentioning that uh, bovine respiratory disease is the number one cause of mortality in cattle greater than a month of age in Ireland. And it's not just in Ireland, it's globally, you know, it's a huge issue, bovine respiratory disease. So can you tell us what measures can farmers take to, to reduce that mortality rate on their own individual farms?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'd, I'd fully agree with that. And we, we're lucky in Kilkenny that we have a regional vet lab right mm, here. True. So, I mean, it's so easy. Unfortunately, there will be losses in farming, and that's the, that's the nature of it. We often send cases into the lab, um, to get a, to get a handle on what's going on in the farm. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're dead right. I fully agree with that. It over a month, it's 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 going to be bovine respiratory disease. Under a month it tends to be scours, um, that, that's causing losses. But I suppose prevention. It's all about your vet knowing what's going on on your farm. This is why people often ask me, they ask me out of the blue or, you know, somebody's on Instagram and stuff like that, people message me and they say, they have problems on their farm. Can I give them advice? And unfortunately, a lot of time I can't. I can give general topics like we're going to discuss, but I won't know what's going on in their farm. I don't know their system. It all comes down to what's the system there? Is this a dairy farm where they breed their own replacements? Is it a suckler farm where you have you know, where you have cows on calves so they're exposed to older animals straight away? Um, or is it, you know, the hardest ones to manage are the ones where they're buying in lots of young calves and um, from different sources and mixing them. How can they prevent it? I'd always say to people, if you're buying in lots of calves and you have a problem, well, you're going to have problems. If you're buying lots of calves, you need to have a prevention plan in place. Try and buy them from limited sources you know set up a, a relationship with a local dairy farmer or something like that and you say i'm going to buy 50 calves off you next year and when they're all ready to go i'm just going to come in and buy them take them home one journey and that's it and they're all one batch but you know years ago when people used to be going into the marts and buying calves and dribs and drabs it's not as common anymore but like the amount of sickness you would see within five days of those calves arriving was was phenomenal um because they're mixing with so many different groups so prevention really comes down to knowing what's going on in that farm, minimizing the stress, but setting up a plan specific for that farm in terms of environment. Uh, you know, vaccination is going to have to play a role. Um, you're going to have to obviously you're going to have to talk about the the hygiene, everything. You know, temperature, all of this. So we can go into this in more detail, but those those are the real things specific to each farm So if you
0: were called out to a, a, a case of calf pneumonia in a shed what would you not like to see in a calf shed when you open that door or you're brought in what would the things that would stand out straight away that you wouldn't be happy with if you were dealing with uh, an outbreak of pneumonia in a batch of calves
1: So for me the biggest thing is I really don't want to see them mixing with older animals do You know, you, you don't want a pen of calves baby calves that are you know only less than a couple of months old and you have older stock in the same airspace. That's the highest risk. And unfortunately, in a suckler situation, there is an element to that because they're in contact with their mother. And she, unfortunately, she may have bugs that are contagious to calves. She can tolerate them because she's an old, an older adult animal and has a competent immune system. But the calf can't. So for me, the the biggest thing to try and avoid is mixing age groups. Do you know, and, and that doesn't have to be. I'm not talking necessarily about year and a half bullocks. That could be. Weanlands, do you know, Or it could be calves that are three months old and now you're putting baby calves into those pens. So with modern technology and we have automatic feeders, sometimes people need to fill those feeders with a certain amount of calves, be it 40, 50, 60 calves on the feeder or they have two feeders in a pen. If the calving pattern isn't tight enough to actually have a batch of calves ready to go, that mightn't work in that situation because they, they really shouldn't have four week old calves on the feeder and then they're like, oh, we need five more calves to go into that. There was five born yesterday, so we'll throw them in there with those. And now they're going with month old calves who may have already picked up some viruses on that farm.
0: It's higher risk kind of, isn't it? I suppose the environment then if you're mixed age groups. And Absolutely. also if you do that, you're ultimately disrupting the hierarchy in groups too. You know, there can be bullying issues if you put mixed younger cattle in with older bunches as well. So it's, it's higher risk profile. Um, also, if you went into a shed, we'll say, and, and the, the, the air seemed quite stale in nature, what would you be concerned about there in a in a overly stock shed
1: yeah look at I mean a quick this is these are the things you're looking around the shed for do you know even as you're just chatting or even as you're listening to the calf and taking the temperature you know you're, you're taking in all these things Um, you, you don't want to look at the shed and look up at the walls and see cobwebs everywhere and see dust everywhere um, do you know dust is a sign that there's not much ventilation if the, if, the, if the air is going through the shed at an appropriate rate, there really shouldn't be huge buildups of dust and cobwebs. Um, so that's that's a big problem if you don't have any ventilation. I know the older generation, um, they often used to think that they wanted to close down any drafts. They had a fierce, it's the same in people. People say, oh, you know, you'll get your death of cold with that draft coming in on your back and stuff. Yeah. OK, yeah, you don't want to be frozen cold in a draft, but... There was this fear of drafts to the point where sometimes they'd put them into sheds, close all the doors and block up all the ventilation spaces because they don't want any. But then that's just stagnant air, you know, and stagnant air, same as we've seen with COVID, it's going to lead to more chance of viral spread on these moisture droplets in the air. Like ventilation is key. If if the if the ventilation is poor in a shed, like it has to be rectified either through changing the sides, you know, and putting in some some Yorkshire boarding or something like that, or the vented sheeting, or sometimes it's as simple as saying you, you need to leave that door open. That door needs to be left open. It just don't don't close off all the inlets. Air needs to be moving in the shed to clean out the air, like a hygienic air going through.
0: So, as you said, ventilation is key, but also avoiding drafts. And I guess as well, I suppose if you have a large open space early on in your calfing period and you have fewer calf numbers and you're concerned about the temperature, you were saying temperature there is important for young baby calves as well. And their thermoneutral zone is 10 to 25 degrees, which is actually quite high. You know, we don't have those temperatures right now here in Ireland. So if you have a shed that's poorly uh, stocked. And lower numbers and it is quite cold you can also implement like calf jackets things like that are great along with good deep straw bedding as well which can also help and just as well about the stale air that can be in calf sheds if your bedding is very damp isn't regularly cleaned you can get a lot of you know, urine build up uh, damp surfaces and ammonia levels and that will increase your humidity and all of that will affect the respiratory airway of, of calves and ultimately they can be susceptible to developing respiratory disease as well so um, there's multiple factors there in the housing now just Another uh, part of control will be uh, vaccination. Is that it? how important of a component is that to the control measures of calf pneumonia?
1: Oh, look at vaccination is essential. You know, it's it, it's look at it as a tool in the armory. Do you know, you have all these different things you can do and like calf jackets are a good tool that you can use, you know. Um, but all these things are key. There's there's so many things you, ha- you have to put into place. But I suppose vaccination now, there's, there's so many options there. Do you know, now we've got the intranasal vaccination um, that you can get in earlier and earlier. I think the, the your vaccine, now you can go from a day. Imagine being able to vaccine a calf at one day old and get protection in. Um, so the thing I I would always say when I investigate a problem with pneumonia is I try to find out the bugs that are on the farm. So then I know what can I prevent? What can I not prevent, you know? And then I assess on that farm the timing of, of when the disease actually happens. Mm-hmm. The risk factors, like like I said, like I mentioned, if you're buying in calves from multiple sources versus a closed dairy herd where the calves have no contact with older animals, and then you assess which vaccine is appropriate and what time to get it into them. People say to me, should I use this vaccine? Should I use that vaccine? If I don't know their farm and I don't, and I'm not going out there to assess it. It's very hard for me to say to them which vaccine to use because their risk factors may be different. You know, if you're buying in from multiple sources, you want a vaccine that gets into them as fast as possible. So I'd be trying to give those calves 24 hours to settle after they arrived and then get an intranasal vaccine into them. Um, because you want you want fast immunity um, and the intranasal vaccines will work quicker in, the, in those situations than going under the skin. Um, but then, you know, depending on time of the year, if you're looking at housing, it's a different story completely. We're talking about calves today. Weanlings is a different problem. Yeah. So it's
0: kinda it's farm specific really, isn't it, as you said. But in a farm where there is a high instance of of pneumonia in very young calves, by all means the intranasal is a good uh, option there where it covers against RSV and PO3 which are the early invaders the viruses that are commonly associated in calf pneumonia and it has as you said as well Richard it has very fast protection they've announced immunity by 7 days for both agents and it's a duration of immunity is 12 weeks but like you said then the other vaccination option could be Bovipass RSP, which is two two doses four weeks apart and that could suit some other herds depending on their profile and the prevalence within, within their herds
1: like That's the thing is it's so farm specific Um, So I find, you know, on some farms um, if they're buying in calves from multiple sources they're the real type of farm where they need to get in quickly Buy the calves, let them settle 24 hours and then get in the next day with an intranasal vaccine at that point get the fastest onset of immunity Other farms, if they're closed herds dairy farms, for example, where they're not in contact with older animals, might go for a different coverage, it just depends on the farm So
0: just to uh, reiterate, the intranasal is a good option for fast onset. So, And also, would you recommend it in herds that have a high prevalence or incidence of calf pneumonia at a very early age in the first four to six weeks of life, the intranasal vaccine?
1: Oh, absolutely. That's it. You, you, you want to get fast immunity in. It, this is where knowing the farm is so important. If that pneumonia outbreak typically happens year on year in the first six weeks, you're going to want to get in there with an intranasal vaccine. The the new one is licensed from one day old, get it in as early as possible and get fast onset of immunity. Do you know, if you're going to go for bovie pass under the skin, you're going to be given two shots four weeks apart, slight delay in the onset of immunity. If that pneumonia outbreak in that farm typically happens four to six weeks old, you might be behind the eight ball. So in, do, in those cases, absolutely, I'd be going with, with with an intranasal vaccine.
0: Perfect. And when you administer the bovillus intranasal RSP live intranasally at day of birth, they have an onset of immunity by one week of age, seven days for RSV and PI3. And as you said early on, they're, I suppose, often seen as the viral culprits associated with respiratory disease in calves at that age. So you're giving them good protection early on in life. Um, also, Richard, IBR is often mentioned uh, by farmers and by vets uh, associated with respiratory clinical science. So can you elaborate on that and would you see it often in young stock?
1: Yeah, so look, we, we do, we see IBR, definitely we see it out and about. Uh, it comes back on testing, be it bulk tank testing uh, or some of the bloods that we do. Um, and in fairness, the beauty of IBR is they can test for it even in a vaccinating herd and they can differentiate between the wild virus and the vaccine virus. Um I see it personally, mostly in weanlings, cause a big problem there. Uh, We do see it causing problems sometimes in dairy cows as well. Uh, I definitely have had farms where it caused problems in young calves. RSV and PI3 are definitely the big hitters. They're the main ones causing the problems. But I have some farms where they have to go in with with both vaccines. They need to cover them for IBR from a young age and they need to cover them from RSV and PI3. Again, it just depends on the farm. You know, for farmers out there, if you're speaking to your neighbours... What they're doing on their farm isn't always applicable to what you're doing on your farm. Discussion groups are absolutely fantastic to give you a general idea of what's going on on one farm. But we all know like, you know, you go to a discussion group, you go to a farm walk and you see straight away that that farm has a different land type. So their system isn't going to suit your system of grazing. It's the same with vaccination. If you have a different type of animal or you have a different housing system or you have a different uh, you have a different method of buying in animals or something like that, different source for animals, your vaccine plan is going to be different. So some farms will need to include IBR from a very young age.
0: So it's really important to engage with your own
1: vet. Absolutely. You need to just have a plan and be able to touch base and know what's going on on, the, on that farm.
0: Perfect. Um, so just to summarise then, what would your three key take-home
1: messages be? I suppose, look at, you want to start at the very start. Get the calf off to a good start, okay, from the beginning. That means getting colostrum in. Plenty of colostrum into the calf and then put the calf into a clean, hygienic environment. So you're going to get it off to a good start, colostrum, hygiene, numbers one and two. They just, they're mandatory. You, you, can, you will not do anything without that. And then number three, avoid checks in growth rate. You don't want anything to upset your calves. So everything needs to be gradual. Gradual weaning, the whole lot, avoid stressors, gradual turnout if you can, and then the biggest check in growth rates for me that I see is disbudding calves. It's a really stressful event. Reduce the stress, give them local anaesthetic and give them an anti-inflammatory as well. You know, it it, it really reduces the stress on man and beast. Um, but yeah, that will reduce the growth check. Anything that that reduces feed intakes reduces growth rates, leaves them open to disease.
0: And when they're stressed as well, cattle just don't do well in general. Their immune system is negatively impacted. And as you said, they're just susceptible then to developing disease and mainly, um, let's say, calf scours or calf pneumonias.
1: Absolutely. I mean, look, at stress is something that's underestimated as a cause of disease, both in people and in animals. Um, You know, it's, it's like stress now we're seeing it in bigger herds. As herd size increases, I suppose the hierarchy of the cows in a, in a, if we go back to talking about uh, older animals, uh, so if you have a dairy herd now and you've got two, 300 cows in one social hierarchy, the patterns of dominance and the patterns of interaction break down there. So there's always an underlying stress. Cows don't know where to come in. Whereas years ago when people had, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 cows, the cows used to come into the parlour in the same order every single day and they knew their routine, they were happy, they knew their friends. And now it's a bigger group
0: Thanks very much, Richard, for your insights on calf pneumonia and join us again for our next podcast on our Total Calf Health Solution podcast series with MSD Animal Health.